0: Trade Talks, bringing you the best
1: of the buy side.
2: Welcome to episode six of the Trade Talks. Joining me today, as always, is our editor at The Trade. It's Hayley McDowell. How are you doing, Hayley?
1: Hi, guys. I'm good. How are you?
2: Um, well, tired, very tired. Um, I have some very noisy neighbours above me who seem to be doing a nice little workout at like half four in the morning. <laughs> so I've been waking up by that. And then, um, yeah, other neighbour. I thought I could hear a domestic going on. There was a lot of shouting, a lot of swearing. So I stick my head out the door, having a little earwig into his conversation. Yep. But he's just raging about uh FIFA <laughs> on a you know, you know, so it's like um a lot of shouty people. But how about you? <laughs> Have you been keeping keeping uh getting enough rest anyway?
1: Yeah, no, well I haven't had any uh pe- any people flying into FIFA rages nearby. Um although I've witnessed my fair share of those dur- during my university days. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, you know, it's it's super loud where I am as well. I live literally on top of a train station. I'm sure people listening, I've told many of you about this before. But yeah, it's, it's extremely loud um, where I am as well. And Kais, um, it, can, it can be a bit of a problem when we're trying to do podcasts like this one. Am I right? That's true.
2: I just shut all the windows <laughs> while the guy was screaming. So we're not having any, you know, swear words in the background. But yeah, it can be a bit distracting. But no. anyway we have to make do we're all working in our home studios right. but uh yeah <laughs> anyway uh, let's go with a little bit of a show rundown and let's talk about what we've got going on in today's episode sure. because we have a guest today don't we we have a uh, Richard Rawls, who's going to be our trade talker on yeah, today's episode.
1: super excited to talk to Richard. Um, so we're going to be talking to Richard at um, Janice Henderson, uh, and he's the head of EMEA Equity Trading. And, yeah, we're going to talk about some really interesting things going on, uh, particularly on the um, the bid for shorter market hours, which is, um, which is fantastic. So, yeah, looking forward to that.
2: And then... Uh, we have our new little segment at the end of the show where we talk about the people moves. So we are talking about some of the biggest moves we've seen uh, people do in the industry. Yep. And as always with the show, we do a little rundown of some of the stories we've been looking at. So uh, we're going to jump into that in a minute.
1: Right. The Trade Talking Points.
2: So yes, starting with the first story, it's still kind of related to working from home. Uh, I'm talking about BidFX upgrading its uh, mobile app for remote trading. So uh, a big demand for this upgrade as everyone's working from home at the moment. So uh, traders who are working remotely can use the BidFX mobile app to trade and manage spot FX, forwards, NDF positions and keep that all kind of secure. So yeah, it's the latest upgrade to the BidFX um mobile app which went live on the 1st of june and some of the features that will be included will enable traders to track and amend orders that have been entered via a desktop computer through a mobile device so what we're seeing again here and especially with the fx and spot fx is that where people were using these desktops and you know many screens maybe six screens (laughs) they're now using their mobile to you know connect with that and access that so yeah it's Another push with technology again, uh, working from home, lockdown, really forcing us to go into this uh, new technologies and kind of, you know, Upgrades and meet the needs of the people who are working from home. So it's an interesting one to go with the whole lockdown situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you know it's interesting to kind of imagine you know these massive institutions um, and and institutional investors sort of managing orders on an app. You know, it, it just seems sort of crazy, but it goes to show how far technology's come. And, and it, yeah, like you say, it kind of goes to show the uh, the recent developments with the lockdown. Um, I suppose you know demand for those kind of services um services are definitely going to increase
2: well definitely I mean we've had it with we've, we've been speaking to many guests and we've had to actually tell them to disconnect from their uh, <laughs> work cloud which is connected to their work desktop in the office because um it's it's too many uh too much going on, yeah. it slows down our recording. So, you know, just people are already doing it. How about you, Haley? What have you been looking at recently? Uh,
1: yeah, so I, I covered a story um, on Goldman Sachs and the uh, Sigma X periodic auction. Um, so, yeah, really... Really interesting uh, from Goldman Sachs here. They basically said that they saw a record trade of 24.1 million executed on um, its Sigma X MTF periodic auction last month. Um, so yeah, that was the trade was executed on the 27th of May. Um, and the interesting thing I thought was the fact that the trade size increased from 1.7 million at the auction initia- initiation stage to 24.1 million at the auction on cross phase. Um, and members were using the bank's market data feed. To sort of monitor those changes in um, in indicative volume, um, and Goldman did actually say that they're seeing um, their auctions result in in LIs uh, size trade large in scale large in scale size trades um, more often now, and and um, traders are using those sort of liquidity signals in its market data feeds. So yeah, some interesting stuff there. You know, I think periodic auctions were were once quite controversial um as they emerged under mifid 2 in europe um but i think you know but after a long debate in the market people were very supportive of of the, the the venues the the auctions and i think the regulators sort of soon realized following a lot of feedback from um buy side sell side um exchanges all over that you know these periodic auctions are are good venue venues and they you know they include the ability to sort of show natural liquidity, they reduce costs and they help firms achieve the, the MIFID two best execution um, endeavor. So, so yeah, I thought that one was um, particularly interesting. Was there anything else that you, you've covered class, that was, that was particularly good?
2: Yeah. So I just want to jump over to Singapore now. A lot been happening over there. So, uh, Deutsche Bank is the latest to launch an FX trading engine from Singapore now. In, sorry, in Singapore. They got uh, approval from the Monetary Authority in Singapore to let them join uh, BMY Mellon, who also were another firm to establish an FX trading engine in Singapore. We first heard about this during a speech on the 29th of May when the Managing Director of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Ravi Menson, said that Deutsche Bank and BNY Mellon will join the growing list of firms looking to establish electronic FX trading in the Asian region. It wasn't actually in a press release. This news was released in. It was actually just included in a speech. So uh, they did release a press release a couple of weeks after. And um, yeah, it's just again Singapore is getting a lot of attention, becoming well trying to affirm themselves as the basically place to be the central hub for Asia. And uh, when you've got Companies like Deutsche Deutsche Bank and uh, BNY Mellon and uh, They're on the way to there, but that was uh, just two moves which um, came recently.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting one, and and we've we've followed that sort of you know since the get go. I think it was XTX Markets that were the first to launch the uh, the first FX trading. Um, pricing and engine in um 2018 with um with the the um, monetary authority of singapore uh, all part of this sort of initiative and, and this um this plan that um, you know the regulator wants Singapore to become a, a global hub for for sort of price discovery and, and liquidity um, during Asian trading hours. So yeah, this is a, a big big um, news story that that's sort of been developing over the past two years. Um, and yeah, you know Deutsche Bank, BNY Mellon, they they joined UBS City. Um, you know, Jump Trading, BNP Paribas. There's a lot of of major um, institutions that are on board with this um, with this particular project
2: yeah standard chartered as well he's they're also on board with this project so oh, cool. yeah you're right uh, yeah. big names what's caught your eye anyway what else has caught your eye here um
1: so quite recently the the story that's kind of caught my attention is the fact that six has finally completed its acquisition of the um spanish stock exchange b m e uh so the deal was um approved shareholders approved the deal um at b m e so they have acquired um a ninety three point one six percent um stake in in BME. So yeah, basically, that deal has closed now. Um, I'm sure that you know, some of you you guys listening will remember that Euronext had expressed interest in um, also acquiring BME, but that never actually sort of materialized into an official um bid but yeah that's that's done and um confirmed now which is fantastic for six um and you know it kind of puts them um even further in the big leagues uh, for for the exchanges globally so yeah great move for those guys um and i remember sort of seeing in their 2019 market report uh and i believe that was published in march that six is keen to look for opportunities to acquire other providers so um yeah and they seem pretty confident on that as well they they said you know they have sufficient funding to do so and it's something they're going to be actively looking at um you know whether the coronavirus pandemic will change that or not i suppose is you know um remains to be seen
2: no yeah it's an interesting story i've wrote um about this in the past and uh yeah it's it's nice to have them finally complete it yeah. and uh you're right yeah you were a bit slow to the gun but um it's also interesting, you were just saying at the end, because I know this is a part of uh, their growing strategy, which, um, like you said, they are looking to invest and take on more companies. But again, will this change now? Will they be put into like, a different cont- continuity plan, <laughs> given the pandemic? It's yeah. uh, all up for debate. So yeah, that's really good news. So now I just want to talk about the Members Exchange, Memex. Uh, we've spoke about it a few times on the podcast and in our news stories. So they welcome City as the latest investor to join the member exchange, and yeah, also tagged with this is the Fimra approval for the broker dealer routing uh, product. So, great. Yes, they also join um, BlackRock,
1: yeah.
2: uh, Wells Fargo, Flows Trade, and many others. But interestingly enough, with this one uh, with City, it was actually um, they invested after the uh, last financial um, round, right. The investment round, so. I know they said, I've got the quote here, is that um, despite basically the missing the latest financial uh, financing round, that City was such a good player for them to take on that they just basically brought them on in anyway. So um, yeah, it kind of shows like the importance uh, of City being an investor for the member exchange. They were really keen to get them on despite the funding round ending. So yeah, that's another one added to the big growing pile of uh, founding investors and investors.
1: Yeah that's an interesting one and I think you know we're all kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for um for their launch on on the 4th of September um,
2: yes they were but, delayed weren't they that's
1: right yeah they they did have to um delay the, the the initial launch date which was in july i believe um but that was obviously due to the um coronavirus pandemic um but yeah you know i'm wondering who else is is going to sort of come out of the woodworks and, and invest in this um in this project in this venture um you know and, and let's not forget the backdrop here um in terms of the debate that's ongoing in the industry around the cost of of market data and um you know access it's a, a huge thing in the U S the same thing that it's, it's a, you know, same way it's a big thing in, in Europe as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all really excited to see, um, you know, how this, this exchange group is, is going to succeed, um, against those, those giants, NASDAQ, NYSE, NICE, SIBO, um, it's going to be interesting.
2: David and Goliath, September 4th. <laughs> 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 Has there any been any other stories you've been looking at Hayley? Yeah, as well?
1: I've got one more for you. Um, so Some people, I mean, I haven't covered open access for a really long time, but the open access regime is going to sort of go ahead as as planned. And this was delayed. It was supposed to come into force alongside MIFID 2 in January 2018. It proved very controversial and basically just as a, a quick overview, so The regime is really looking to increase competition in the futures market. And they're they're looking to do this by removing that sort of vertical silo model of um, of trading and clearing with one sort of venue. So the rules will require trading venues and clearing houses to allow non discriminatory um access to their services. And basically that means that traders can trade a future on one exchange and clear it at a central counterparty owned by a completely separate group. So um, yeah, you know the rules kind of make sense but I think there was a lot of you know a lot of people were um debating the the idea around this um but basically in the most recent update and I've been I believe it was on well, sort of early June time, um, not too long ago even. But um, basically, they're saying that it's still going ahead, and CCPs and trading venues are expected to have the capacity to process open access requests. But at the same time, the current market environment—you uh, know, there's a lot of volatility, uncertainty—which could impact trading venues and CCPs. And basically, the authorities have told um, regulators and firms not to risk. Um, you know, the stability of the market by trying to comply with these rules um, as they come into force um, in July, early July, I think it's the 4th of July. That's that's sort of um, um, relief there from from the regulators in terms of enforcement. But at the same time, they're expecting these rules to um, go ahead and be implemented as planned.
2: Right. Now, uh, looking at the time, it looks like we're almost ready for our trade talker of the episode. Uh, Joining us today is Richard Worrell. So stick with us because we're going to be speaking about uh, shorter market hours.
1: The Trade Talkers.
2: So welcome to the Trade Talkers. Joining us today, our guest, he's from Janice Henderson. He's the head of equity trading at Europe, Middle East and Africa. It's Richard Worrell. Welcome to the show, Richard.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Actually, I think this format's really, really good. I like the podcast format. I think it's been a good addition by you guys. It's been really, really good. So I'm hoping, hoping that this goes down well. We get some kind of Joe Rogan-style contract out of the back of it. so, Richard. I just want to
2: jump in uh, with the first question. So my first question is, how was the shift to remote trading in the light of the lockdown for the trading desk at Janice Henderson? And did you come across any
0: challenges when you were making this move? Yeah, I guess it was really challenging. I think overall, everybody navigated it quite well. I think you'll hear a lot of similar tales around kind of tech issues and communication issues initially. And I think we all, it was such a big shift. I think if you'd have said to us six months ago, you're going to go to an industry where you're, 97, 98% working from home, everybody would have laughed. And so I think it's, it's a credit to everybody that we've managed to do that. And it did work pretty well eventually. And I think we were quite pleased as a, as a company, as a team, as a company, and overall how well it worked. So niggly issues rather than in in, in particular. I guess the big the big challenge was simply volumes and volatility and, and what happened through that. I mean, our volumes were 50% higher in that kind of one-month, sort of March, April, really tough period and I guess the big thing for me, give the team credit for for what they did through that period. It was really really hard. Volatility was so high. You had periods where we were sort of five and a half times normal, and spreads doubling, and liquidity at touch halving. It, it was it was pretty tough. And then at the same time, you're trying to navigate that. The way we did it, we split into teams of two, um, two teams of three. Sorry, and I, I think that was a good way to do it. Initially, on different floors in the office, and and that worked briefly. But as ever things changed quickly and we quickly shifted to to people being at home at the same time slight slightly maybe different to other people we actually kept a few people in the office one of the reasons for that was the communication just to keep that speed to market and also we had one of our main hedge fund managers in the office with us so we've been driving in and we've been we've been doing that throughout and and it's generally speaking it's worked well.
1: That's a really interesting Richard I think it's um like you say sort of testament to the industry i guess that you know this this sort of shift has happened so quickly but one of the talking points i really wanted to uh, touch on with you um as you're on the show with us is of course on the um on the bid for shorter mar- market hours now just for the for the benefit of our listeners could you sort of explain what the sort of reasoning is behind um you know the the call on on exchanges in europe to to reduce the the market hours
0: Yeah, I guess there's three main pillars. I'm I'm hoping most people know, but those three main pillars are really around that. So first of all, market structure. So I come at everything from a cost point of view, first of all. I I sort of see my job in simple fashion as to save clients money. And and I'll be thinking about that in, in every single way that I can. I always sort of say a basis point, a quarter is the way I try and think about it. But the first hour is the most expensive hour of the European market. And and that's a fact. It's just simply shown that that kind of cost of trading in that period, a 1% ADV order, basically costs double in the first 30 minutes that it does in the last 30 minutes. So I think we, I initially came at it very much from that angle. Let's look at that. Why are things not opening in the most efficient fashion? And I think let's try and tackle that. And I, I do think there's an element that in the US things open on more volume because they've got a slightly more I guess, a fluid sort of setup in that the corporate results will come out about seven in the morning. You'll get the macro about half past eight. You'll get the open about half past nine. And I feel like by that time, everybody's ready. So so that was always at the forefront of my mind. And then I think over recent years, you know, the diversity and culture that's changing in the industry. There's a great stat from Forbes that said 92 percent of millennials want flexibility. That's their top priority. And I, I just think that that's huge. And when we're trying to hire people and you say to them, You'll be coming in, you need to be at your desk by seven, then you might stay till six, you might stay till seven, depending on when placings are in the evening. That they kind of look at you a little bit with obviously horror in their eyes, really. And so I think again, those you, you think, well, how do I attract kind of young, talented people? And then obviously retention around returners and maternity leave and paternity leave. And how do I bring different people in when they've just got that such that such long working day? It's really hard, I think. And then the mental health element is that third pillar and the days lost to mental health is one third higher than it was 10 years ago in, in this sector. So there's definitely a lot of problems there. And I think we just got, we've got to think about everything. So one of the things I always think is there's a lot of noise about traders are talking about this, but I'm really keen to take it beyond that. And as I touched on with placings, you've got those kind of elements where there's a lot of people in ECM desks sitting around till I, I dread to think what time trying to, trying to put those deals together and sort them out and, reducing the market hours doesn't solve any of these things in one hit
1: yeah i totally agree with you there richard um and it's really interesting to hear it from you know that perspective i think it's one of the things that really caught my attention around this sort of trend of of all the bid to sort of reduce the market hours was definitely on the well-being of of um of market participants and and that sort of fight to um you know to look after people's mental health Interestingly, we had the responses from the London stock exchanges uh, consultation. What were your thoughts on on those responses was it was sort of a summary wasn't it from from LSE but what were your thoughts on on that I know. One of the things that I really picked up on was the fact that if this is going to happen and we want to see these benefits, it, it has to be done across Europe and, and there needs to be some sort of harmonisation among the sort of exchanges across Europe. But, but yeah, what about yourself? What did you really take away from from the responses?
0: Yeah, I th- I think that's very, very fair. I think definitely the main point was that, people were on board. I mean, they said to us anecdotally that it was the most amount of responses they'd ever had to one of their consultations, which I think is extremely positive. Now, that might have been because people wanted to talk about the small cap securities. But I think the actual fact is they wanted to talk about the market hours. And it said, look, the majority of participants and most respondents, and there was lots of that significant majority of respondents were sympathetic to the arguments. I mean, I think it was really all on the right track. And I think we just need to first of all give the LSE a lot of credit because they were the first exchange to go public with a consultation. And that, and that and that's so positive to do. I think to actually come out and say, look, we want to be thinking about this, we want to look at it, that that is great. And I personally I think they deserve a lot of credit. And Euronext, absolutely the same. I agree with you that the talk about harmonization, to me, it bangs home and and Kind of one of the reasons why I agreed to do this is as in an industry, we need to push hard again and make sure that we all respond to the euro next. If we've got a view you've got you've got to express it, and I think thirtieth of June is the deadline. There's no doubt in my mind if we if we push that again, then then look there's a, there's a wave there, and I think it's for the right reasons. I think that, that's that's the key, and I don't think there's any pushback when you look at there's a couple of comments which will say some respondents, a small number of respondents in terms of the pushback. But generally, most people are on board. They get it. We're going to save clients money. We're going to help, hopefully, the diversity and inclusion. And hopefully we're going to help the mental health. As I say, you don't solve these things. None of the change doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of time. And I think we're already a year into this process when we all sat around the table at the IA and then with AFME and these talks. You know, it takes a long time, but we're pushing in the right direction. And I think that's that's the key for me for with everything. I think it's all about working together to push things forward and we do that really, really well at the the IA and I think we do it at Plato, I think we do it um, informally as an industry as well, we all have those chats. I mean, I do think that's one of the interesting things about this work from home environment and, and everything that's happening, just going back to that, is... The sort of social capital, and I guess the better word is intellectual capital. Do we is there something that we potentially lose when we're having when we're not having the water cooler moments? Or potentially I'm at an IA meeting and then on the way out, I walk out with somebody. I thought of something the other day where I was at um a conference a couple of months before this this kicked off. And afterwards I had a chat with um somebody I'd actually never met or spoken to before. I'll name dropping now, Christian Schalker at DWS. I've never spoken to him, never met him. And after the conference, I had a really good chat with him. We talked for 45, 50 minutes about lots of different things. I learned an incredible amount from that. Now, in a sort of work from home, everything's online world, you don't get that. So there's a little intangible there around intellectual capital. I've just realized I'm probably digressing, but I think you can hopefully tie those together in some way. I'm talking about everybody working together for the greater good, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah no definitely richard i'm conscious of time so i i really want to get onto this this next topic here which of course is on the mifid 2 uh, review so this has been um ongoing for a little while now and i know that you um submitted your own response for for Janice henderson to the to the, the consultation do you think perhaps you could summarize what your sort of key points were um in that big review i mean it was a massive um consultation wasn't it
0: yeah it was it was a very very big it's a huge piece of work from them I give them a lot of due because we always want to try and improve the market structure and and ultimately that's what they're doing so so the reason we we responded and we did it publicly was to was to be constructive and to try and help everybody and whether or not our views are valid or not but they all form part of an argument and so we thought it was right to put that in the public space and I think most other firms have done that and actually when you read through them it, it's quite a fascinating thing to sit down and try and see it from their point of view and then try and find out where where the kind of happy mediums lie. So my big thing is I would encourage further dialogue. Let's keep the consultations and the constructive dialogue going. For me, there were a couple of main points really. I, I get nervous around losing midpoint. I think we're, we're pretty sure that we can keep midpoint above large in scale, which is important, but midpoint at a number of different levels, it, it is the right point. I mean, for instance, six of our top 10 venues are midpoint venues this year. So, I mean, that tells you how we think about it. it. It goes back to that point of saving clients money. And I think so large in scale is fine, we think, but there's a lot below that. So the stock 600 touch size is about €50,000, give or take. So if, if I get an order in, say, Vodafone, Sanofi, Deutsche Cell, that's half a million euros, for instance, I would have to go to the exchange and I would have to pay the spread every time. And the spread, well, at the moment, it's, it's obviously a lot higher, but, but theoretically it's four, five, six basis points. I'm paying that spread on that trade. But if there's a seller at that point in time that I want to buy them, why can't we just trade in the middle? And, and I kind of put myself in their shoes and said, well, look, it's all about pre-trade transparency. So... They're right to some extent. We do want to see as much of the volume and as much of the prints and as much of the activity pre-trade as we can, of course. But in certain instances, that that won't suit. If the touch size is €50,000, why would I want to show thousand euros on the price? I'm not going to want to. It's not going to be beneficial to me because the fact is the exchanges, the, the constructs by their nature tend to suit faster participants. So unless I've got the super fastest kit, it's not going to suit me to aggress with a relatively large order. So I think that if you've got that midpoint where, don't forget post-trade transparency, as soon as that trade, if there's a seller for that 600,000 euros, we trade at the middle, we both save the spread, that trade automatically almost, instantaneously prints on the exchanges and the volume is seen to all participants. So the key thing with that is what's better? me going to the market and printing, say, 200 little shares at a time in Deutsche Hotel, or me printing, say, €600,000 Euros in one print at one price. That is That, to me, is the most sort of, that's the best trade because that is really showing you that that is a point in time and a price point that a buyer and seller are both prepared to commit significant liquidity. So, to me, it kind of further credentializes that price point rather than multiple kind of small prints. So, So that's kind of one way I think about it. And then the venues, we're talking about potentially changes to the systematic internalizers, periodics, just venues in general. And my worry there is I lose, I think that I get it because there's a lot of venues. And again, trying to put myself in in somebody else's shoes, I can see that we need to simplify the market structure. There's a strong argument for that. But a lot of these newer entrants have brought a lot of innovation to the market. I mean, obviously talking with a sort of Plato out on turquoise Plato Block Discovery, but look, SIBO, LIS, the periodic auctions, LSE hidden, and I always get this name wrong. So the LSE are going to call me and tell me off. LSE hidden midpoint pegged order type and systematic internalizers. What they all do is they're giving me optionality, price improvement, and the competition that breeds innovation. If there was just one conditional LIS venue, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't go after more, they wouldn't say, oh, we need to innovate, we need to change. They would just sit there on their on their sort of business and go, oh, "We're doing very, very well." So I, I think we've just got to keep the dialogue going, keep the competition going, and keep trying to get price improvement for our for our customers because let's let's try and save people's money.
1: I Totally agree with you, Richard. There, and I, I think you know I, I started reporting on on the industry uh, sort of pre uh, myth too. And one of the things that I thought was um, really interesting was exactly what you said there, the, you know, the innovation that really sort of came out of that uh, with the periodics and the, the, uh, the block trading platforms. It's been super interesting to kind of watch that unfold. And I know that another really sort of key theme um, sort of, throughout everyone's responses to the uh the mifid 2 consultation was of course the the consolidated tape uh which came up in i would say i think every single um every single response so yeah i mean you you yourself i, I believe also mentioned the uh of the consolidated tape and and um yeah what, what were your kind of thoughts on on that the the consolidated tape
0: yeah i I guess in some ways it's quite simple. We all want to see all of the data as quick as we can to make sensible investment decisions. So I think in, in some ways it's sort of as simple as that. I can't see all of the activity that's happening in live time. So we you know, consolidate and it obviously makes, I, I think it seems to make a lot of sense. But I think that in recent times, I think kind of risk and liquidity for funds, you know, the analysis of that has become more and more important. And, and that's another really important way of looking at it. So when we look at, so the difference between a Bloomberg, you know, regular London line and the EU line, for instance, the difference could be 40 to 50% of liquidity, but we don't always know exactly how addressable that is. So I think working through that and trying to make it as efficient as possible will, will be a great, great thing for the market. And I, and I do think it will help, and it's sort of it's sort of, blue sky, I guess, scenarios, I thinking it will help capital markets and price formation. It will help draw liquidity to markets. But I do, I do think it will, because if I get an order say mid afternoon kind of time and it's a relatively large order unless I can see anything obvious in the market. Some sometimes I might hold off and wait for wait for an auction or just wait for a block. I won't necessarily touch the market because I don't feel a hundred percent comfortable with with that kind of faster technology element and maybe I can't see all of the data or the prices. So there's just an element that maybe it holds people back. And I think Potentially, again, this is all, as I say, dream scenario that it does really help capital markets formation. But I, I'm I'm completely with you. I think it was it was probably the one element that everybody agreed on, which was really exciting. Um, but equally it feels like it's hard work. I'm I'm not I'm not smart enough to know how we do all of this and how we put it together and who pays for it and how. And but it, it feels like a real challenge. There's been but again, con, some constructive um comments, there's been some European Commission meetings on it that have been great. And we're all. What I like is we're all pulling in the same direction, and that's what we all should be doing. We should be all trying to go the same way and get things better and, and save clients money.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? Or it, it will be interesting to see how um, if we all kind of do come to the de- to the decision to, yep, let's do it, let's get the consolidated tape established. It will be interesting to see how that actually works and you know the logistics behind that. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be sort of watching watching the space richard i'm afraid that's all you have time for but um thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure uh, thanks for having me on really enjoyed it It was good fun yeah
2: that was a good interview good speaking with richard and uh, we did that by video actually uh, to record and uh, it was nice to see actually richard in an office you know. know a bit of normality
1: yeah well it goes to show doesn't it you know um i've i've heard sort of across the industry there there's been a, a sort of skeleton um of, of traders roaming about the city still working so yeah no it's uh really good to speak with richard who is where people moves
2: okay so let's talk about people moves since we're talking about people uh, in the city of london so uh IX, the Investor Exchange, has hired the head of global equities and electronic trading at JP Morgan as their new chief operating officer to oversee the exchange operations. So uh Daniel Summit joins IX after 10 years at JP Morgan. So he's been there for a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's um, you know, a big name in the industry. And I think this is a, a great hire for um investors exchange, um, you know, people for for people who aren't aware um you know investors exchange is is a really interesting exchange in the us that's taking a a very different stance um on various issues um particularly around market data and the costs of um, market data and market access which we were discussing earlier kai's um they take some really interesting views on that you know they were among or they were the first um exchange to sort of disclose the uh the costs of producing market data and connectivity um and and they're really on the side of of the buyer side um and you know who are arguing that market data is too expensive um so yeah iex are sort of at the forefront of that so um yeah interesting move uh definitely
2: yeah it's interesting that they're yeah they're they're on the side of the buy side (laughs) (laughs) so yeah definitely look out for those guys if they've got your back Um, (laughs) then also we have uh, another move uh, at BNP Paribas so BNP Paribas has appointed a new head of execution services who joins the French Investment Bank following a major deal with Deutsche Bank so it's uh, Brian Fagan who's joining BNP Paribas and this was in March
1: yeah that's right so this um, of course I'm sure many people listening will know about the the huge deal um, between BNP Paribas and Deutsche Bank. Uh, So basically, BNP Paribas agreed to take on Deutsche Bank's prime brokerage and um, electronic equities clients. Um, And this was in July last year that that was... um, uh, sort of uh, fully agreed. Uh, they they gained regulatory approval for the deal um, in November, and um, you know we at the trade we've been following this deal very closely. You know they've they've given us some interesting information on that deal in in several earnings calls, which um, you know we we keep a close eye on. And uh, yeah, it looks like Brian Fagan has joined BNP Paribas as part of this sort of transition. Um, so yeah, and and you know he was with Deutsche Bank for for nine years, um, heading up execution services in uh in the u.s so yeah another really interesting people move um and i expect that we'll see more of these kind of moves in terms of that BNP Paribas deutsche bank deal definitely yeah
2: now i just want to move to uh two sigma because two sigma have made a higher yeah. so actually they have uh taken uh, goldman sachs first uh, chief data officer so it's quite interesting he was the first one to hold this role and he's uh, also got the ceiling role heading up the quantitative hedge funds at uh, goldman sachs so his name is jeffrey wecker and he will be coming on to two sigma as their chief technology officer to head up engineering at Two Sigma.
1: Yeah, this is a really big sort of, you know, people move, I think, in the industry. I saw a lot of coverage of it online, um, you know, various media outlets covering the fact that, um, you know, Jeffrey Wecker is, is the first ever chief data officer appointed at Goldman Sachs. Um, so, yeah, now he's he's moving to Two Sigma. Um, and I, th- I believe that he actually um, rejoined Goldman in 2017 to become their chief data officer. Uh so he he had already sort of previously worked at um at Goldman Sachs for for a, more than a decade, in fact, um managing sort of quantitative quantitative um strategies. So yeah, another really interesting um move there. Um and I think you know, T, Two Sigma, uh they sounded pretty pretty chuffed with um with getting Weka on board.
2: Okay, that was our people moves. Now, just before we say our goodbyes, I want to ask you something, Haley. Uh what can you tell us about the trade launch in this 2020 EMS survey? I've seen it, I've I filled it out, but uh, for our listeners, maybe you can explain it a bit more.
1: Yes, certainly. So many of you will be very aware of uh, the trade surveys. So um, we have recently launched our execution management systems survey 2020. And uh, yeah, this is uh, really important for the buyer side to get involved here uh, to, to rate their EMS providers. The, the outperformers are recognized at the Trades Leaders in Trading ceremony. Um, and we do, in fact, you know, have plans to go ahead with that event. I know it's all very up in the air at the moment. Um, but as it stands at the moment, we do have that um, event sort of ready to, to take place on the 19th of November. Um, so, yeah. For, for, for people rating their EMS providers, those providers are going to be recognized, or, or at least the the outperformers in that survey are going to be recognized on that night. So um, yeah, please do get involved. It's, um, you know, we get some really interesting findings from these. Um, and I believe that it closes on the 7th of August. So we've got plenty of time uh, to, you've got plenty of time to submit your feedback. Um, but yeah. Really good, really exciting.
2: Yeah, and that's easy to find. If you just go to the trade website, you will see it uh, on the main page. So just click in, uh, read the article, click the link and fill out the survey. And uh, jobs are good. Un. But uh, that seems like that's all the time we have today, Haley. Yeah. Uh, but it was good having a little uh, virtual catch up, hearing your voice over the internet. But uh, <laughs> again, yeah, some good stories. And again, thank you all to the viewers and listeners. Uh, click in. And subscribing to it uh, to the show. We know uh, we're getting a lot of popularity on Spotify, but don't forget, you can get this on anywhere you get your podcasts. So just make sure you uh, subscribe and get uh, weekly updates when the new episodes come. So, again, thank you all for listening. Goodbye.
0: Trade Talks,
1: bringing you the best of the buy side.